across the pond with Barry and Chad. Is this thing on, Chad? It's, it's, it's 36 live. It's 36 in the world. How are you doing, dude? It's, I'm really jealous to see you in a short sleeve shirt. I'm freezing the side. Joe Berger has been a miserable, cold kind of day today. And so I'm a little bit jealous to see you just in a t-shirt, dude. Yeah, t-shirt the side. Earlier, I must be honest, Barry, I was out on my bicycle, still in the t-shirt, got shorts ah. on, just, you know, roaming around the streets, cruising around. It's not seven degrees like it is your side. We asked Google <laughs> just to verify, just to fact check what the temperature in uh, the Johannesburg is and seven degrees it is icy i'll give it to you this time uh, you're not just you know being a bit of a sissy this time yeah but what's weird about it chad is that the sun is still out the whole day yeah. it's so deceiving because you look out your window it's this beautiful african sun it looks amazing and then you actually go outside and the wind hits you the chill hits you and you're like okay that sun was lying to me <laughs> well that is south africa my sun barry is still very much up it's not even nine o'clock yet and it's it's still up we're, we're kind of like half past eight and uh, we've got full sunlight outside, just rubbing it in there for a little bit. <laughs> damn you, Chad, damn you. But hopefully things will turn around soon. I'm looking forward to spring and then, yep. of course, the African summer over December. Chad, should we get started? Let's dive into the week that was. Let's do it. The week that was. Alrighty, the week that was, Barry. Um, I just want to touch on two episodes back. It seems to be a pretty popular episode. Our favorite uh, musician, Jacob Collier, has yielded us some, oh, yes. some nice comments and some new subscribers. As he should, Chaz, as he <laughs> should. I mean, I've been obsessed with him for the last two weeks. I've been annoying everybody in my life, sending them videos all the time. Yeah. Um, I really think he's something special. And so the fact that he was in that title, we really got a few new viewers and a few new subscribers. So if you're new here, welcome to Across the Pond. It's really cool to have you here. Um, hopefully you'll find some value in this week as well. Yeah. Uh, we're going to try and stay away from Jacob too much, but I can't, I can't, I can't help myself sometimes, Chad. Hey, you can never promise anything. I actually just sent Barry a, a little picture. I'm getting involved in this little piece at work um, where essentially just to try and get some camaraderie going across the firm, you know, everyone is getting involved in learning new hobbies and stuff. And uh, we basically got this like virtual concert kind of thing going on. And uh, very cool. I very clearly, very, very clearly um, was very far away from Jacob Collier. I got all the mistakes right. I just got some feedback on my <laughs> piano playing piece. And uh, I'm, I'm quite dismayed, Barry. I, I clearly need to get back to the drawing board. Dude, it's so hard when you're right in the beginning of something. And, and I mean, you've been playing guitar for a long time, but piano is quite new for both of us. Yeah. I mean, for those of you watching the YouTube, you might be able to see a little piano in the corner if Chad <laughs> doesn't crop it out. And it's one of those things where we, I think we're both trying to get better at piano. I certainly yeah. am because of this inspiration from Jacob. And it's frustrating how long it takes to actually get good. Like you listen to Jacob, you're like, oh, I can do that. And then you start playing and you, you realize you're actually quite terrible and you need some work. Um, but I think for your work thing, Chad, we shouldn't be so hard on ourselves, surely. <laughs> yeah, I mean, surely surely the whole point of it is just to get some some fun going, just to get people, I don't know, appreciating uh, working together and, uh, you know, getting things going. So anyway, uh, I'm sure it will be a cool result when it finally does come out. Um, and I'm sure we'll be very proud of it when we do get there. Um, but yeah, it's just kind of, kind of getting there. I must tell you one thing, Chad, as well. I just remembered now. We did a similar thing with the Johannesburg Symphony Choir this week. Oh. So I had to record a version of Johnny Clegg's Orsieza because uh, it's the anniversary of his death coming up on Thursday. So when this episode is out, the video will probably also be out at the same time. Wow. And so we did one of those remote virtual choir things and they've put all the voices together and we've heard a rough draft so far and it sounds really cool. So I'm looking forward to seeing
seeing how that comes out. And in that one, I also made a few wrong notes, but hopefully <laughs> in the choir, there's enough of it to kind of cover up my mistakes and it should sound crystal clear. Oh, well, I'm really excited for that. Definitely do throw us the link when that's up, Barry. Um, yeah, keen to, keen to hear that. So what happened this week, Barry? What happened this week? I mean, we started a few weeks ago off with the, with the technology side. We spoke quite a lot about Apple and their WWDC. We like tech on this podcast. Um, that's probably one we of do. our we key do. focuses here. Um, today, you <laughs> want to talk about an app that I know very little about, um, but that is a, a massive phenomenon that hit the world of storm, especially in lockdown. Everyone is getting their choreographed uh, dance moves going. Um, some really <laughs> quite enjoyable. I must be honest. I've watched quite a few with uh, some you know, older people who you typically wouldn't see uh, dancing around to a, a Justin Bieber type track or, or, or something like that. Even some hip hop in, in some instances. Um, and it's quite amusing to watch. But anyway, I'm rambling. Tell us about TikTok. What do you want to chat about this week, Barry? Yeah, Chad. So, of course, it's, it's the app that makes us feel old, right? It's the app that all the youngsters are on. It really makes us feel old because we are the Instagram generation, potentially. And TikTok is taking the world by storm. And like you say, it's, it's been focused a lot on dance and on, on music. For those who don't know, the, the idea is you take some sort of sound, whether it's a sample of a song or whether it's some sort of lip-synced version of a, of a movie or a TV series, and people use creativity on top of that sound. And that sound becomes almost the the equivalent of a hashtag on Twitter or Instagram. And you can kind of follow that sound and see how that trend is going. And for some reason, this has really taken the world by storm. It's coming out of China to start with, and that's where we're going to get to in a little bit. But it's kind of taken the rest of the world by storm. And the, the, the download numbers, Chad, are absolutely crazy. If I look at some of the numbers here, it's been downloaded over 2 billion times globally, which wow. is a scary number. <laughs> in, the, in the first quarter of 2020, it had the most app downloads for any app ever wow. with 315 million downloads in a quarter so that that for me is, is, is strange because chad like i i have looks at it and i've stopped playing around with it because i'm trying to understand what's going on there <laughs> but for a long time i didn't know about it right yeah. but it has 315 million downloads and so it's one of those apps that really has come under the radar when it comes to our age group but is an absolute phenomenon for anyone say 16 and below well when i look at that two billion number and uh, when i hear about you downloading it to play around on it and a couple of people <laughs> that i know the, the, the question that sparks to my mind is, does that include re-downloads? Because I think I've downloaded this app two or three times, <laughs> opened it up, got very confused about what's going on, <laughs> straight away deleted it, um, and you know decided I, I wasn't going into this, uh, this vortex. Um, I mean, what do you think, Barry? Or, or is that kind of going to be an immaterial part of that number? It definitely has to be include re-downloads, <laughs> Chad. I mean, Facebook doesn't even have 2 billion users and yeah. they've been around forever. So it definitely has to include re-downloads. And I think it's exactly like you say. I, I downloaded it and I also, the first the first two or three hours on TikTok are so confusing. The <laughs> interface is too difficult to understand. You don't know what's going on. You don't understand all the inside jokes and the references. And it's one of those things that once you spend some time on it, you start to pick up some of the nuance and some of the, some of the, the bits and pieces, right? What I've been blown away by, Chad, is that even though a lot of it is frivolous, a lot of it is just messing around, having fun, yep. there's some serious talent there. And there's some serious, like, amazing dancers and singers and whatnot are using sure. that as a new platform. There's been brand new celebrities that we don't even know the names of that have millions and millions and millions of followers who are really creating career for themselves. And so it is that breakout app. It is the app that is really going to challenge, I think, Instagram in the future. As we've seen with social media apps in the past, they kind of tend to age up over time. Yep. So they often start with early adopters as the youngsters who are willing to try something new and it slowly ages up over, over time if you look at facebook now chad i don't know about your parents but my parents generation are all over facebook definitely, my yeah. mother is on it all the time all her friends etc so that has definitely aged up while we've kind of moved away from facebook over time 
And so I wonder if this can happen to TikTok. I wonder if in a few years, Chad, we're going to see TikTok as our main platform of choice. I mean, I think it's already happened to an extent. When I first heard the first murmurings of, of TikTok, you heard people like, uh, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk talking about it quite a while ago. And uh, at that stage, it really, really was a very young uh, follower base. Where now, I suppose, lockdown has, has kind of excelled that little wave up in terms of the, oh, yeah. the age adoption. Um, and even, even at the moment, I'm, I'm surprised to see some of the ages uh, partaking on that app. So I definitely think it would get there, but I don't think it could replace um, Instagram, especially because of the, the, the format, I suppose. It, it is video. Um, and, you know, Instagram does cater quite quite nicely now to, to video and uh, images. The fact that you've got IGTV that's come out not too long ago, you've got stories, um, <laughs> Snapchat copy, uh, you've got, <laughs> you know, everything else. Um, it, it definitely, it definitely for me, does seem to be uh, the sweet spot at the moment. But in terms of those celebrities that you talk about, Barry, I, I wanted to chat a little bit about that because for me, it seems quite sad that only when a new app starts, can people start posting and actually get somewhere on the platform because there's not enough users, there's not enough screening out from an algorithm. And I feel like a platform like YouTube, a platform like Instagram, even at the moment, it has lots of great content that is just not seeing eyes at the moment because there's so many users. Um, I feel like that's quite unfortunate. Yeah, it is. But unfortunately, that's how the world works, right? Yeah. That's supply and demand at its very finest. Right at the beginning of something, if you get in really, really early, if you were one of the first thousand users on Twitter, one of the first 10,000 users on yeah. Twitter, you would automatically have millions of followers over time because you're one of those first movers. And the same for TikTok, same for Instagram, same for yeah. all of these things. So as these, as these technologies mature over time, it gets harder and harder to stand out, right? It gets harder and harder to kind of get your, your stuff in front of people. Yeah. I mean, you, you and me, Chad, are both content creators. We try and make stuff. We try and get eyeballs on it. It's really, <laughs> really challenging, it no is. matter how good your stuff is, is yeah. because things are so saturated and there are so many content creators to choose from. That's it. That's it. And I suppose you're right, Barry. I suppose we do have to, you know, mature into an audience and ultimately there has to be some filtering across. And maybe we think our stuff is better than it is. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we have to, right? Because otherwise you wouldn't make it. And unfortunately, yeah. if like you have to kind of believe that you're going to make something that's really, really powerful, even if it's not right now, because that's the only way that forces you to get over that insecurity and get over that kind of fear of putting yourself out there. Um, and you have to have that belief in yourself. But you also have to understand, Chad, that your first hundred videos are going to suck, right? And it's going to take yeah. practice and practice and practice. And what people don't realize is often these stars that we see that have arrived, we don't see the 10,000 hours of work before they become Definitely. a star. And so what seems like an overnight success actually isn't. You actually, re If you dig into their story a little bit, you realize they've been practicing for this for their entire life. And yeah. so for all creators out there, it's about persistence and it's about practice, practice, practice. Yeah, my favorite tech YouTuber, MKBHD, uh, who on YouTube has got millions of subscribers, he posted a little tweet the other day to say that uh, his very first video, his very, very first video he posted, he was a little kid at that time. He was reviewing, I think it was something silly like a keyboard or, you know, a, a, it was a remote control that came along with a laptop. So you could kind of use the remote control to turn things okay. on, I, I suppose, use it kind of like a like a TV type of thing. I didn't, didn't watch the full video, but... Um, it's fascinating that YouTube suddenly decided to start recommending that video to his, <laughs> all of his subscribers. And uh, it's one of those where the algorithm just decides at some point in time, he went into his analytics and he actually showed his analytics. I think he posted it, gosh, maybe 15 years ago, something like that. And you just see over time how there's been no views on this thing, nothing, nothing, nothing. And all of a sudden, all of his subscribers get recommended it. It's, it's really strange. 
Yeah, it is, it is a strange one. I remember seeing that video in my recommender <laughs> and having that same thought. It's like, what yeah. the hell? What is the algorithm doing? Um, and I think it, it was one of those funny moments where it, became, it kind of became a bit of a meme in that community that, that yeah. this video is being recommended to everybody. But I think you talked to an important point, Chad. Like with all these things, it's like an exponential growth yeah. where for a long time, things look flat, 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 flat. And that's where people give up, right? People give up a lot in that plateau period. I know for podcasts even, like a lot of podcasts don't make it through past five or six episodes because it looks like things are completely flat and people are like, okay, it's not working. But you've actually got to stick with it for a long, long time because eventually if you get it right, all of a sudden your views will go like this yeah. if you find the right audience and they start recommending it to other people through word of mouth. But it's only it's only a very small percentage of people who can actually persevere through that period and actually make it off that plateau at the end of the yeah. day. Yeah, absolutely. Well, hopefully hopefully we get there eventually, Barry. But for the meantime, we'll carry on doing this because we enjoy doing it. We enjoy our conversation. Exactly. We enjoy our discussion. Exactly. And I suppose if you do follow any of our social platforms, that little video that we put out last week um, of why we were a little bit late in posting, um, I thought was absolutely <laughs> hilarious. Oh, I loved the chat. It was really a, one of those moments that really makes this podcast worth making. And uh, like yeah. you say, we'd be doing this even if no one was listening because we just enjoy it. And so we hope you enjoy it too. Absolutely. Chad, I want to bring back to TikTok quickly. Yep. Well, one of the one of the reasons we brought it up was because of the privacy concerns that have kind of been coming up around TikTok. Of course, we've chatted about how, how amazing this app is and how it's taken the world by storm. Yep. But one of the more darker sides of it that people are starting to uncover is that there's potentially some some darker stuff here with with uh, China being maybe behind this app. Right. So the app originated in China, and there's some talk about the fact that the Chinese Communist Party might have their hands inside the app. Okay. And some of the engineers in the U.S. specifically, but also places like India and around the world, have been digging into kind of the code and digging into what this app does on your phone and the amount of data it scrapes and, and takes from your phone from your usage of, of the app is terrifying it really is oh, scary wow. and so there's been talk around the world about certain countries banning it in fact india which is about 30 percent of tiktok's global population wow. with downloads of over 600 million people and uh, they've kind of cited privacy concerns about the app and kind of shut it down which was a huge deal because that's a huge portion of tiktok's audience and it's one of those things where that's kind of the reason that's given. Of course, we can't forget all the, the politics that's happening at, at the border at the moment between India and China. There's lots and lots of drama there. And so there's definitely political undertones underneath them. And I think the more important one was that after India's banning, the U.S. are starting to talk about it, right? right. And the U.S. are looking to potentially ban it on their side because obviously the U.S.-China uh, relations is not great at the moment. Um, they are fighting a number of trade wars and certainly are the two big superpowers in the world at the moment. And it looks like the U.S. might be banning TikTok as well. And so it, it brings to mind a lot of like that these things seem neutral. These apps seem just like good fun, lots of dances, lots of singing. So any, any user like us, we wouldn't think about that. But on a global level, on a kind of a country level, there's so much concern about the privacy. And so I wonder if TikTok is going to survive these kind of bumps in the road, Chad, and whether there's anything of substance to all these claims about this darker side. That is fascinating. I actually saw something pop up on my newsfeed uh, at some point this week. And I think it was actually accusing LinkedIn of something similar, um, of copying your clipboard so obviously you know in terms of the the tech side of this um, anyone who's done any kind of programming will know that there are some limits um, those apps can't access everything on your phone um, obviously depending on the permissions you've given it i suppose but ultimately this is being brought up because we have gone onto the app and we have posted on what we expect the app developer to actually be able to access on it so ultimately anything we post anything we watch anything we like anything like that those are all kind of reasonable things that we would expect them to have access to 
But buried in that code, and I suppose that's why people have been digging through that code, are some capabilities as well. And something like the clipboard, I mean, for me, ultimately sounds quite silly. I don't know about you, Barry, but I don't copy and paste uh, super highly confidential stuff. Um, but I mean, ultimately, it is an extra layer of data in this case that I read about, and I can't confirm exactly where it was. Um, but I suppose it's the exact same phenomenon here, where there's an extra layer of data that is somehow able to be accessed by this app. And uh, ultimately, you know, it's just really bad faith that they're doing it. Yeah, exactly, Chad. That's a great example of something that you're not quite sure how they would use it potentially, because yeah. like you say, you don't know what would be on that clipboard. But the, p the pure fact that it's going beyond the app itself and into your phone more generally is, is worrying because then you wonder what else could they do, right? Definitely. And so as a conspiracy theory, it's very powerful. Like you wonder what could be behind this. Um, if it is some sort of mass spying activity, it is a huge deal, right? <laughs> to have this kind sure. of reach across the world with that many downloads and that kind of reach across every country. It's a huge deal if it's true. Um, but again, you don't quite know because at the same time the countries that are fighting this have political reasons to do so and so you've always got to think about what is the agenda here like what is the agenda for india wanting to ban this in the middle of like a huge fight across their border and the same with the u.s with their trade deals and so with all of these things it's hard because we only we kind of only see the u.s media none of us really read the chinese media yep. so we don't quite know what the other side of the story looks like so i'm hesitant to kind of make a call either way but I, for one, am glad that people are trying to dig into these apps and trying to figure out what do they actually do on their phones because I have no clue. Right? I wouldn't know where to start, yep. and uh, I, no one reads those privacy policies anyway, and so I'm hopeful that people are, are looking into this and trying to figure out exactly what the truth is. And uh, if something is untoward, we need to get that, up, that app off our phone as quickly as possible. Absolutely. Well, I hope somebody is going to actually take the time and do the scrubbing and do the investigating uh, because it's an important one, like you said, Barry, especially if it has got a, a global presence, millions of users or billions of downloads across the globe. Um, I mean, this could be one of the biggest, biggest kind of uh, data infiltrations um, that it's, it's a Trojan horse ultimately because, you know, ultimately it comes in with one face and uh, there could uh, there could possibly be a, a hidden agenda. And I mean, it is certainly a scary uh, prospect that uh, there's no doubt about it. Yeah, without a doubt, dystopian movie waiting to happen. So we'll have to watch and, and see what happens there. Chad, I wanted to bring up two quick South African stories. Yeah. Um, last night, uh, as of day of recording, we had a, a, a press conference by our president, Sir Roman Poser who was in a very bad mood, Chad. He was not a happy chappy last night. And he gave a real scolding to the South African people about their behavior over the last couple of weeks. And the reason is because our COVID case numbers have been climbing, climbing, climbing every single day in a worrying fashion, right? So it's one of those things where after going through this for months and months and months and being locked down for so long, if people kind of have been forgetting about this thing yep. a little bit or getting a little bit complacent because everyone's fatigued about staying home and all that good stuff. And so there's been lots of talk about people hosting brides and parties and social gatherings when they shouldn't be doing it. And unfortunately, as the numbers start to rise, sort of had to step in and say, listen, guys, enough is enough. And so in a quite a controversial move, he's, he's reinstated some of the restrictions, Chad, that we had chatted about in previous episodes. The biggest one, of course, being the alcohol ban. <laughs> so as of last night, he, he immediately suspended alcohol sales, which okay. caused a firestorm here in the country um, because that immediacy was just 
was not expected, I don't think. I think that it really was unexpected for most people. And uh, again, it puts that whole, the wine industry, the restaurant industry, under even more pressure after just managing to survive, or some of them managing to survive through this whole yep. lockdown, and now to go against it again. And uh, the reasons you brought up was because of the trauma strain on our hospitals, right? Yep. It, it's it's scary how many of our hospitals get kind of filled up by, by trauma victims when alcohol is involved. And of course, we need those hospitals, we need those beds for COVID patients going forward. And so that's the reason he cited. But at the same time, it's, it's, it's again, it's that infringing on that freedom that doesn't sit well with everybody. And it was a very, very controversial move. He also brought back a curfew. So now you can't go out between 9 p.m. and I think it's 4 a.m., um, and uh, yeah, no family visits, no gatherings. We very much are back to a kind of a level four kind of lockdown. And so it was, it was a weird night, Chad. I don't think South Africa was very happy yesterday. And we'll have to see what happens in the next few days. Yeah, I certainly saw utterings of that across my, my feed as well from many friends who are in South Africa. And, and people are visually cheesed off. I think the interesting thing here, Barry, is the, the fact that you're mentioning that you got a scolding from the president. And, and that mood is important because he has, certainly throughout this outbreak, been kind of a beacon of light, a beacon of hope uh, for a lot of people, a lot of people having a, new, a newly found faith in the government, funny enough. Um, and for him to you know get in front there and actually take a different tone certainly would have taken some people by surprise. Um, and ultimately, I'm sure a lot of people are feeling like they've been treated like kids uh, in, in a way. And I, I suppose the, the ultimate first way to react in, in that kind of thing is is to be angry, to be, you know, disappointed, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. The immediacy of the alcohol ban, I get, because a lot of people would just go and stockpile ultimately. And if <laughs> you're trying to genuinely stop it for that genuine reason, uh, then ultimately the immediacy is the only way to do it in my mind. Uh, ultimately, like you say, there's a lot of debate in terms of whether that's the right decision or not. I mean, I certainly know, and, and you know, from personal experience, when alcohol gets involved, it does become a lot harder to you know, follow the rules, follow the rational brain, <laughs> things that you generally would do. Um, ultimately, it's, it's one of those things. What does alcohol do? Well, it strips the oxygen out of your blood. And uh, you know, ultimately, that's why you, you feel the way you do. Um, and, and it does become harder to, to kind of engage with that rational brain. I mean, I was at a brother's past weekend chatting to a guy who uh, ultimately had his finger chopped off um, while he was what? on a drinking expedition, um, doing something Jeez. silly, doing something that you wouldn't normally ordinarily do. Um, and so for me, just from that one conversation, it's very, very clear to, to understand how those trauma facilities are, are, are filled up unnecessarily. Um, buy something like alcohol, like alcohol. That said, I know a lot of our listeners are not going to be pleased by this um, and ultimately <laughs> might have different views. Yeah, I, th I, th I think it's a difficult one. I can certainly feel the kind of tide shifting. Yeah. Uh, like you say, at, at the beginning of this, everyone was gung-ho, everyone was on the same team. It certainly feels a lot, a lot more mixed these days. Um, I think it's a factor as well, Chad. We, we chatted a bit about a while ago about this lockdown fatigue. And like, if you lock down too early yeah. and, you, and you expect your citizens to be in lockdown for too long, it, it's likely to result in this kind of unease or this kind of, um, kind of pushback. Yeah. And so my concern is that perhaps in South Africa, we start our lockdown too early. Because I mean, when we started the lockdown, our cases were very, very small. Yeah. And so for a long time, we kind of assumed we were doing a really, really good job, right? But maybe what happened is that we were just behind. Maybe we just were waiting for that, that, that peak to hit. And we've been chatting here about the peak coming in, say, August, September here in South Africa. And so maybe the lockdown should have started a little bit later for us and kind of then we wouldn't have had this, this feeling right now. 
but hindsight is twenty twenty. It's so hard to look yeah. back and kind of make that call back then. And so, yeah, I, I for one, I, I obviously support the alcohol ban, but I'm biased as always. I must make that disclaimer. <laughs> um, but it's one of those things where we need to save lives as best we can. Um, the South African health system is going to be under huge strain over the next few months. And uh, I'm just appealing to everyone in South Africa, like hang in there and, ho and hold tight to the regulations. Please look after yourselves and look after people around you. Um, I think with the, I know it's hard. I know everyone wants to get their wings out and kind of fly and do all that thing. And everyone's going through like struggles. People are losing jobs. They're losing family members. It's, it's tough for everybody. Um, but just hang in there because the sacrifices you make over the next few months is going to dictate like what our country is going to look like 2021 and beyond. Absolutely. And I think some of the other reasons that we haven't really gone into Barry is I think a lot of that displease is also coming from the fact that there are a couple of contradictions in some of these regulations so you can't go to <laughs> yeah. somebody's house and keep an appropriate distance but it's more than okay to sit in a taxi with someone uh, you know go to a casino kind of thing um, you know go go to the shops etc etc and uh, I also think that's why you know perhaps some people are, are feeling the way that they are yeah definitely I think there's a lot of those arguments where people will take two isolated rules and kind of mirror them against each other and show that they're illogical yeah. and then there's lots of people run away with those but i think we have to remember that these things are so difficult right this, this the presidents of the government are trying to keep up economies they're trying to save jobs they're trying to save lives it's like an impossible balancing act yeah. and what i always think about when i see these these explanations is like what would you do and no one's got a good answer no one's got a good answer as to okay cool i'll just shut down the casinos you're like oh cool then you're gonna lose twenty thousand jobs and then yeah. they're like oh wait hold on maybe that's not a good idea <laughs> so it, it's it's such a difficult one and everyone's yeah. got this this ideal view of, of of like what the what the world should look like and what's that should look like it's a very very difficult job so have a little bit of empathy for how difficult these, yeah. these trade-offs actually are 100 now none of them are going to be taken lightly i'm sure when these things get decided on there's you know a room of people really taking tough decisions but i think the important thing here is that somebody is taking decisions imagine somebody was not um, it would just be complete chaos you guys would be insane an insane number of, of cases so although you know it's very easy for, for people on the outside uh, to, to criticize and you know if i was in i would make this decision <laughs> um, ultimately, you can just be pleased that there's some leadership there taking decisive action. Um, and, you know, whether it's 100% right, well, you know, we'll, we'll see, we'll see. Uh, but rather have something there than, than not. Or, or am I being a bit too optimistic there? No, I think you're right, Chad. I, I think it's it, it shows how much we value life. And I yeah. think that's an important thing to remember is that we, like, we really value the people that are losing their lives and we want to minimize that number as best we can. And that is that is kind of the value and that's kind of the ideal that I want my country to 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 work towards, yeah. right? No matter what the cost, is to try and prevent loss of life. And of course, the argument comes back that people will lose lives because of loss of jobs and all the good stuff. I, I sure. get all of that. Yeah. But it's a, it's that ideal value of saying we want to preserve life as best we can because life is that most important resource and the most important thing. And uh, if we get it wrong, we get it wrong. But like you say, as long as decisions are being made and we actually actively try to save life, um, I think that's the best we can ask for in this kind of time. Yeah, 100%. Well, one of the other things that you told me, Barry, that you weren't very pleased about hearing this past week is that the famed load shedding is back in its full <laughs> glory. Um, and for those uh, listeners who, who don't know what it is, um, essentially it is when you have planned power outages. Now, I actually had no power here where I stay, you know, kind of for an hour and a half. And that was about a week ago. And I went outside <laughs> onto the street. Now, obviously, I'm from South Africa. And this was previously very normal. Went outside onto the street because everyone is working. Everyone's working from at, at home. And everyone is highly cheesed off. You've got people lining up out <laughs> on the pavements. 
getting really heated. Why is there no electricity? You know, getting really heated up. You phone the power line and there's a really, really nice response. They've told you that emergency help has been dispatched three minutes after the incident was reported. They, you know, are going to send you SMS updates. It's all fantastic. Um, but ultimately, in South Africa, there are power outages that are planned um, and yeah, I mean, we are obviously going to have to work our podcast around those intervals now again, <laughs> Barry. Without a doubt, Chad. I, I, I laugh because it's, it sounds like such a wonderful world. It sounds like <laughs> such a wonderful world where you have one hour off. Um, mm. I've, had, I've had four and a half hours every day for the last few days Ooh. of no electricity. Um, the other day I had no water for half the day and then no power for the other <laughs> half of the day. So we just couldn't get it right. So I'm a little bit frustrated. Oh um, it's, it's one of those things where you kind of, especially when you're working at home, right? A yeah. lot of people are working at home now and all of a sudden the power goes out, your Wi-Fi goes out. What are you supposed to do? Are you supposed to go into the office and use their generator or what, what is the story? Um, so it really is a challenge. I think it's another reason for all the, some of the, the frustration in South Africa right now. A lot of the jokes going around was that lots of people couldn't even watch Cyril's speech because they didn't have power to watch it with, right? And so I think it's another reason for the frustration. Yeah. The fact that we're like the most advanced city in the continent and we still can't power our, our city, right? Johannesburg is like the economic hub of Africa. And the fact that it can't power itself is is worrying. Yeah. Um, and so that's a huge issue. Um, one of the big things as well is that Cyril didn't mention anything about it in the speech. It was, right. like, it was kind of a glaring omission. It was really a, a big talking point for South Africans and he didn't mention anything about it. Um, and so, yeah, we're in the middle of winter right now. So power is very important in winter. And unfortunately, for yeah. four hours a day in most, in most areas, we don't, don't have it. Yeah, winter is really when the, when the problems start uh, becoming evident because you've got that increased load. Um, with a lot of people who use those, those oil heaters um, that take a oh, massive, yeah. massive strain on the grid. And you've got the whole grid doing it at the exact same uh, point in time. Um, certainly with the way that things happen here in the UK, you've got boilers in the house that use gas. There's gas into the home. Boilers essentially, essentially keep the place warm. You've got your double glazed windows. You've got all of that kind of stuff. And, and ultimately that demand on the grid isn't quite the same. So it's understandable that it would rear its head now, uh, but that doesn't make it okay. Um, and I certainly, certainly can understand uh, some frustration there as well. Um, so yeah, I mean, what have you been doing in those four-hour windows, Barry? You've been—you can't even play piano either. That's the thing, Chad. I've got this new electric keyboard, and I was like, piano would be the perfect thing to practice right now, but I've got to plug the damn thing in, and so I can't play keyboard. Um, so what I've been trying to do is I've been getting my candles out, and I've been trying to use it for reading. That's kind of what okay. I've been telling myself: is nice. that when the power's out, I grab a book and I'd read as much as I can. Um, I'll be honest, for sometimes I can't do it for four hours. So sometimes I'll yeah. just like, I don't know, go and sit outside or go for a run. Going for a run is quite a good good use mm. of that time as well. Um, but I'm trying to turn it into reading time um, and trying my best not to get too frustrated with myself. Um, the, the worst part is when you're in the middle of something. Say so you're in the middle of a piece of work or you're trying to send an email and then and then all of a yeah. sudden you, you can't and you have to wait four hours to send that email again. Um, but as long as you can kind of use that time productively and not rage on Twitter about it, I think it's a it's a... It, it's it's a blessing if you think about it in that way. Yeah, I mean, I certainly did enjoy pieces of load shedding. Um, you know, back in SA, would pull out the acoustic guitar and uh, you know, I suppose oh, yeah. connect with family and uh, you know whoever's whoever's with you kind of thing. So there are some positives there, but uh, we're reaching, we're reaching. We shouldn't have to <laughs> to be at that kind of level. Um, Barry, while we're on this topic, um, this side of the pond on in the United Kingdom, I'm in London. Um, we actually heard this week that there's going to be even more eases, funny enough. So just where oh, we've wow. had this super Saturday, you know, two weeks back and everyone was super pleased. We can now go into restaurants, all shops are open, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Gyms are going to be opening on the 25th of July. And I am okay. delighted. 
um, to be able to go into an air-conditioned facility, hit the weight room, um, you know, not that I'm some sort of Dwayne Johnson uh, <laughs> kind of personality. I wish I was. I can, I can, I can see those biceps. <laughs> Don't lie to her. Don't lie to our listeners. But it's nice to get that <laughs> bit of variability in your training. Uh, we've all been yeah, doing yeah. loads of cardio and loads of HIIT training and loads of, you know, at-home yogas and that kind of stuff. And it's, it's cool, fine. Um, but it's nice to, I suppose, have those facilities open again and hopefully in a, in a safe and healthy way uh, we can actually get back and, and doing some some exercise. I think that was the piece of this announcement that I found quite interesting, Barry, is the stressing of how we want our population to be fit and healthy and have good immune systems. And that's something that hasn't really been spoken too much about. Now, I get that gyms are breeding grounds for uh, you know it, it's it's the maximum place of contact uh, ultimately we all picking up the same weights uh, but there are valid precautions there if you force people to wipe their weights down before and after you increase the you know hygiene of the facility and uh, ultimately increase the, the cleaning of of their you know general maintenance and that kind of stuff um ultimately there might be some mitigations there um and so for me i think it's a it's a good debate to have um of allowing your population to to be fit be healthy uh, ultimately we we do have the luxury and we have had even in our first iteration of lockdown to be able to go out and have a run and ultimately you know do exercise outside but that's not everyone's preference and a lot of people you know wouldn't enjoy working out outside what do, what do you think about that i think it's a really good point and i'm glad you brought it up i think we haven't heard enough of that kind of rhetoric yep. it's been a lot of how do you prevent how do you how do you kind of avoid it or how do you fix it once you've got the disease yep. but very little about how do you get your immune system and your body into the right state so that you're in a position to fight the disease yep. we know that having a strong immune system and being healthy in general is the best way to kind of not have those terrible symptoms and, and to be a healthy person and there haven't hasn't been enough people talking about that so i think it's great that that's kind of the messaging that's coming through and i hope yep. that continues even beyond the virus like we have to realize that if we don't take care of our bodies we're going to have a miserable life no matter how good everything else is right yeah your physical health is so crucial to everything, including your mental health. Uh, being able to get and move your body and do that thing is, is really important. And I really hear you about the weights and kind of getting to use all that stuff. Like you can only do so many at-home hit workouts, right? Yep. You can only do so many. <laughs> After a while, it just you, you need to do something different. You need some different weights. You need some different ways of exercising. There's only so many burpees you can do. And yep. so <laughs> once you've done th- once you've done a million of them and you've you've done your riding, your cycling, it really is nice to have that have that that mix. And again, I'm I'm very jealous, Chad. That the gym up up the road from me, which has been closed for so long, I found out has now closed completely because Ooh. they couldn't survive. Oh so gosh. my gym is gone, and I've got to find a new one when they open up at some stage. So again, I'm gonna have to live vicariously through you, Chad, and uh, I'm gonna stick to my head workouts for a little bit. I hate those stories. And there's been so many this past week. Um, one of the uh, sort of food chains, the side, uh, which owns Bella Italia, a chain of Italian restaurants and Cafe Rouge, uh, where you can get some nice burgers and that kind of stuff. And I think they've got a couple of other restaurants. Um, you know, they ultimately now in, in business administration. Uh, we also saw Boots, the, the pharmacy chain. I think they're closing 85 stores. Um, sure. One of the other big retailers, John Lewis, um, has opened only a handful of their stores. And the one close to me is still closed. Um, so, you know, I do wonder whether it's going to be opening up again at all. Um, this kind of news is just really heartbreaking to hear. It really is, Chad, and it's kind of indicative of what's, what this pandemic has done to global economies and what's happened yeah. around the world. We started to see the impact of this extended lockdown and the extended kind of delay on commercial spending. Yeah. And unfortunately, restaurants and shops and gyms and all sorts of businesses are, are falling by the wayside. And to be able to restart again is very, very challenging. Um, and so this this kind of economic impact we're going to feel for a couple of years, I think. And it's going to take a lot of effort to rebuild those 
those economies. And speaking of one of the things, we, we chatted about Edcon here in the past, Chad, and here in South Africa. It's one of the biggest retail chains employing tens of thousands of people across the country. And they, of course, went to Business Rescue. We chatted about their CEO and all that good stuff. And we were wondering a couple of episodes ago, who's going to come and buy these guys, right? Who's going to actually buy all these assets? And uh, we've had we've had a buyer. We've had the Fashini group that's come in and decided that they want to buy uh, Jet, which is one of the kind of the, the yeah. lower end um, brands within Edcon. They, they sell very, very cheap clothing and very yeah. kind of affordable kind of stuff. And uh, they decided to come in and buy Jet. As far as I understand, it's 371 Jet stores across the country. Yeah. Stock holdings with a minimum value of 800 million Rand and the brand itself. And Chad, they are paying yeah. a measly 480 million Rand for the privilege. Wow. So a, a bargain unlike anything else. They got it for absolutely nothing, a proper fire sale. Yeah. The question, of course, is going to be, are they able to turn this thing around? Um, they're buying this huge debt book as well. Um, but for Edcon Business Rescue, at least they've got some cash, like a little bit out. And there's also been talk about um, Edcon itself being able to sell some parts of Edgar's, which is probably their main brand, to to a private equity-backed rival. Um, there's no real information on that just yet. But it sounds like buyers are slowly crawling out the woodwork and offering absolute cents on the RAND to get access to these assets and uh, hopefully save a few of those jobs that Edcon was threatening to lose. Yeah, this is fascinating to hear about because uh, the last I read of, of this story, and I must be honest, it was a little while ago, um, the business practitioners were very, very set in their ways about not going for a part sale type uh, model. They wanted to sell yeah. the whole thing or nothing at all. And uh, for me, it's fascinating that they've you know, decided to, to accept this bid. Uh, Jet and the, the low-end fashion market is a big market in South Africa. You've got Mr. Price competing. Uh, you've got Pep Stores as well. And uh, you know, ultimately, there's, there's certainly certainly a, a, lot of, a lot of business happening in that space. So I think, yeah, as you say, just looking at the value of that stock alone, um, it looks like a fantastic deal. But I mean, at the same time, uh, if I go to any of my local retailers, there's sales pretty much everywhere at the moment. So is that stock actually worth that kind of value um, ultimately they, they do they are getting a lot more it's it's like you said it's the brand it's the the, the actual uh, kind of intangibles uh, that surrounded that brand and, and the, the associations that customers have made with that brand over the many years um, but ultimately it, it seems like a good deal so hopefully they can turn it around keep some of those jobs and, and like you said uh, in terms of at least on the Edcon side get some cash into there so that some of the suppliers and creditors uh, might be able to get some money out of there too yeah, I agree. And ho hopefully it does have some sort of happy ending. Hopefully it does bring a little bit of relief, like you say, to all those companies that really struggle because Econ are going yeah. under. I think you mentioned Mr. Price. What was strange about this deal is that everyone expected Mr. Price to buy these assets. Yeah. Mr. Price felt like the right fit for the jet kind of markets. Mm -hmm. And uh, the Fashini Group, for those who don't know, they have a lot of higher-end fashion stores. They have Truers and a lot of those stores will sell much more expensive clothing. So the jet purchase seems a little bit weird for them. But having read a little bit into it, it sounds like they just decided they're going to buy that and that's become their lower end of the market so right. instead of building their own brand to like sell in the lower end they're going to make jet that brand and so that makes sense for them they're opening a brand new kind of target market and a brand new segment as opposed to kind of the high-end stuff they usually sell but i wonder if mr price was in those negotiations or not because that would have been the, the natural fit in my mind yeah, no, makes sense, makes sense. Uh, it seems like a good strategy for them, at least to cover the, the full offerings of the markets. Um, and yeah, I mean, certainly in, in terms of Mr. Price and, and that decision, um, I, I suppose they probably are sitting with too much stock on their own hands. Um, ultimately, they're trying to get through this as well, aren't they? Um, so yeah, tough for everyone involved, but but hopefully there is, like you said, a little bit of, uh, a little bit of silver lining uh, under that cloud. Shall we move on to our next segment? Because uh, I really found something very interesting last week. What's your name, man? 
Alexander Hamilton. Stuff I found interesting. My name is Alexander Hamilton. <laughs> and there's a million things I haven't done. Just you wait. Just you wait. Oh, Chad, 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 Chad. The musical phenomenon of a generation. And we are getting to it uh, a few years late. But we got there eventually. We got there eventually. Uh, what did we do this, this, this last week, Chad? So this last week, um, basically, I was due to go and watch a show in person uh, on Monday night this past week. I was supposed to go, and I was really looking forward to going to see Hamilton on the West End. Um, we were supposed to have some some kind of family friends come about and visit us, and you know, it was supposed to be this great thing. But obviously, we are where we are, and uh, ultimately, I don't know if I'll ever actually be able to to go and watch it again because the demand for this show is insane. I know people who have waited it's eighteen crazy. months to get a ticket anywhere in the theatre, not just a good ticket any ticket um <laughs> it didn't take me that long funny enough but uh, in in terms of the demand once this thing gets back up and running i feel like it's gonna be a while before you're able to see it again so basically barry sent me a message to say hey you told me you've got disney plus um i believe this thing is airing on disney plus there's been some deal that's happened um and ultimately we made it our priority to both watch this video during the week um, and you know ultimately made sure that was a task that we both ticked off so that we could chat about it in front of everyone else and uh, ultimately I thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, I think the important thing is that this recording Barry was from the original Broadway production and I yeah. didn't know anything about you know the, the comings of, of who wrote this you know, how did this production come to be? And ultimately that story, that piece of the story that you told me about afterwards, um, even not knowing that going in, just added so much to the whole experience. Um, you know, firstly, I, I thought it was fascinating. So I've heard quite a lot about Hamilton in the past from friends who really just explained it to me as a kind of refreshing piece of theater because of the modern take in terms of the, the sound, the, the backdrop, the musical backdrop, yeah. which is uh, hip hop ultimately and hip-hop, rap, and uh, and ultimately going in, I was completely, completely open-minded, didn't know anything about the plot, didn't know anything about the storyline, nothing. Um, and it is this amazing contrast between an old historic storyline of Alexander Hamilton, one of the founding fathers of the States, with this completely, completely modern backdrop of, of rap and R&B, hip-hop, that kind of stuff. Um, but they're still wearing old costumes. Um, and so for me, <laughs> I found it, a fascinating experience, um, and I love the journey. Now, being such a big fan of the music of this, Barry, you've been listening to the music for so long. What was it like being able to see it on Disney Plus? It was so exciting, Chad. It was really, really exciting. I've, I've been following this the show for a long time. Uh, for those of you who know me personally, theatre is a huge part of my life, and I'm absolutely obsessed with Broadway musicals. Yeah. And so, for Hamilton, it it really is the biggest phenomenon of our generation. It, it is breaking every single record. Yeah. And so, from the first moment it came out and won like eleven Tonys in its original year and like broke every single record, I've been watching the phenomenon happen and I was in New York twice during the period where it was actually showing with the okay. original cast and uh, like you say it was no chance I could get, get a ticket and even if I could it would cost me my life savings so <laughs> it was one of those things where I, I wish I could have seen it live but unfortunately it just didn't happen and so like you say I've been listening to the soundtrack for years and to be able to see it live or semi-live almost to watch <laughs> a live recording of it and uh, watch the original cast was absolutely spectacular. And so I, I had the best time. I was singing along, dancing along. Um, <laughs> I, I really do love the musical. And and like you say, it, it's so revolutionary because it was the very, very first musical that really incorporated rap and hip-hop into, yep. its, into its score. 
there's a lot of criticism leveled at Broadway because a lot of the musicals sound the same. They have very, very similar kind of scores and, and it's good and bad about that. It's good because it sounds familiar and you can really like feel good about the kind yeah. of sound you expect at a Broadway show. Um, what Hamilton did was it married the two. It married traditional Broadway sounds with this new hip-hop rap sound yeah. and, and pr creates this really, really cool sonic experience beyond the story itself. So the story is a whole other thing. The story is fascinating as well. But the sonic experience of the way they meld those genres together is just world-class. And the lyrics and the songwriting are, are amazing. Um, for those who don't know, the, the writer is a guy by the name of Lin-Manuel Miranda, who's one of my role models and one of my heroes because of the kind of writing that he does. Yep. And this show really shot him into superstardom. And I would say he probably is the number one name on Broadway today. Okay. Um, if you talk to anyone in musical theater, they, they know him and they, they respect him. He's like, you universally respected and uh, the reason is because his songwriting is so powerful what he managed to do in this musical was get so much dense historical material <laughs> and make it really entertaining chad right yep. so they're having a, they're talking about the declaration of independence and creating a country and all these legal stuff yep. but you're raptured by it you're absolutely obsessed with it um, and so that is not not an easy thing to do um, and so for me, that's what really stood out. It really is a really powerful story and a really amazing musical. And I'm super glad I got to see it. Yeah, I mean, there's so much in all of those little pieces. There's so much history. There's, there's a lot of content that he had to shove in there. And I am convinced that I could watch that three, four, five times and still be learning new things every single time. I mean, ultimately, oh, yeah. as humans, you know, we've got our attention span and uh, it only does, you know, it does its bit for, for so long and then we need a little <laughs> break and then it, it, it comes back. Um, but ultimately, I, I tried to keep focus. I tried to keep attention. But like you said, it's, it's wrapping. It's wrapping with all, with the whole plot in a way that you really do need to follow. Um, and uh, ultimately, it's really enjoyable as well. So in, in terms of that sonic background that you chat about, Barry, I also really love that some of the songs or some of the, the kind of melodic ideas that were thrown at the beginning of it kind of kept coming through in subsequent songs, um, you know, towards the end. You, you, and, and I love that type of music writing. I, I think about some of the best movies that I've watched, and there's one little line that just keeps coming through as a common theme throughout the movie, and if done in a really well way, um, it just makes you feel good because you it's now become a familiar sound. Um, and ultimately, it's with you when this plot unravels. Um, and yeah, I, I just love that experience. Yeah, that, that is one of the key components of, of Miranda's writing. And, and it's what's in, in music theory or in songwriting theory, it's called a motif. Yeah. A, a motif that is kind of repeated in various pieces of a movie or, or a soundtrack or whatever. Yeah. And like you say, there, there's so many motifs that of different characters even. So you yeah. can almost know what character is going to sing the song before the song even starts because you get a sense as to what the, the vibe looks like. And the reason for that is is that Miranda, apparently, was basing each character's kind of sonic experience based on a rapper, for example. Right. So, so like he, so he, he decide, I think he decided Aaron Burr was based on Tupac and I know Hamilton was based on Eminem and, and each character yeah. was based yeah. on a different rapper of the time. And so they all had their own style, their own kind of rhythm, their own way of, of using the lyrics and, and that makes it really interesting to listen to like you say and, and it kind of feels familiar it kind of feels like yeah. you're going back home time and time again and I can't help myself but throw in a Jacob Collier reference here <laughs> because he did exactly the same thing with his albums yeah. um, so he's, he's in the middle of a four, a four volume uh, album set called Jesse and if, if you watch one of some of his breakdowns he's got a, a little four or five note motif that he inserts into every single song on all four okay. albums wow. which is an amazing little easter egg for people like me who are obsessed with it um, so <laughs> 
I will stop there. But the, those motifs are so powerful, and I think for anyone who's doing in songwriting or any of that, that is what that is how you bring emotion. That is how you connect like disparate parts of, of scenes and just disparate things that happen far apart. And it's amazing how good our brain is at picking up those Definitely. small patterns, yeah. right? It's completely subconscious, and it happens like this. You don't have to think about it, and that's something beautiful about music and art in general. Yeah, hundred percent. And uh, yeah, I definitely just felt that. I, I felt it. I, I had. I still haven't read anything about this play, um, but I just felt <laughs> it while I was watching it, um, and and it made a, a massive effect on me. Um, so let's talk about the cool stuff that that you you told me about afterwards. Um, so firstly, um, you know, while I was watching it, I I actually sent a message to Barry and said that this lady sounds like Jessie J, um, to which he responded. She's amazing, and I have an autograph of hers as well. So I kind of thought you were talking about Jesse J, if I'm honest. Um, and so when you <laughs> said that, I was like, no ways. This dude has got it. But ultimately, you've also got a really cool autograph now that I've seen her act. Um, and uh, yeah, just the cast was was incredible. Yeah, it's a good story, Chad. I mean, her name is Philippa Sue, for those who don't know. And she plays Hamilton's wife in the show. Yeah. And I know that she was... I wouldn't say nobody beforehand, but the show really made her a superstar. Um, And kind of the season after she left Hamilton, she became the star in a show called Amelie. And when I was in New York, I went to go and see the show because I I knew of her from Hamilton. I hadn't seen her in Hamilton then, but I knew her name because she'd become a household name because of it. Um, And I remember going to that show and really enjoying it. And then what happens on Broadway shows, if you haven't been there before, is... After the show, the real fanboys go and stand outside the stage door and wait for the actors to kind of come out and try and ambush them before they go home, right? <laughs> and uh, sometimes the actors sneak out other ways a lot of the times because if they're okay. too famous, then it just gets crazy. But every now and then you get lucky and they come on and they sign some autographs. And so I'll never forget, it was my very, I think it was my very second Broadway show I'd been to. Wow. Um, and the first one I stood outside the stage door because I'm like, oh, I've got nothing else to do. Why not, why not check it out? <laughs> And so yeah, I've got I've got an autograph of Philippa Sue, and she so her voice cool. is incredible, her acting is is world class. Um, I have a lot of respect for her as, as an artist, and uh, so yeah, that autograph means a lot to me. So cool, so such a cool one. And uh, while we were kind of swept up in in this chat, um, you know, Barry had to send me a picture of it. So he is not lying, folks. Um, <laughs> he has an actual proper autograph, and I think it's so cool. Um, definitely hang on to that, Barry, because uh, you know, yeah, ultimately she's awesome. Now, just in terms of of the right of the story we've spoken a bit about him um you know in terms of his writing for those who don't know much about it he's also an actor and he actually wrote it kind of setting out his role uh, in this play which i thought fantastic um and tricky because i suppose when you're writing a piece and when it actually comes to, to be there must be a lot of like ownership that you feel on it it's your baby ultimately but it feels when i watched the performance that he adequately was able to let it go and let his people kind of run with the roles that they were assigned to um and and you know for me that always becomes tricky whenever you're wearing different hats um ultimately i suppose it's only instinct for for the one the, the director hat to to kind of step in uh, but he was able to drop that and and ultimately uh, i mean i suppose he's been working with these people for a long period of time and he's, he's obviously cast everyone for a very specific reason um but i mean i found it really enjoying uh, to watch that but i'm rambling barry why don't you talk us through <laughs> uh, wh- why he wrote this like what 
how did it actually happen that he wrote this this musical, um, which you know has, like you said, just set so many records already? For sure. Before we get there, though, I think you brought up a good point in the, yep. in the fact that that is the mark of good writing, right? Yeah. Yep. Average writers, what they will do is you'll find that they insert themselves as a pseudo character, okay. and so they kind of speak from their own voice instead of from a character's voice. And so it's very easy for someone who's doing a who's, who's writing a whole show themselves that's very very close to their heart that they just put their own views in the mouth of somebody yep. else, right? Yep. And good and great writers are able to not let their ego get in the way and not let the pride get in the way and able to write characters that live and have their own experiences and that's what Miranda does so well like you say it really isn't it is Miranda there it's, it's Alexander Hamilton and that's really yeah. really special yeah. um, when it comes to the writing of it he spent I think it's nine or ten years writing it which is a what? crazy amount of time to be spending on it no um, and, and the origin story is quite interesting he read this dense autobiography or sorry this dense biography by a guy called Ron Chernow based on the life of Alexander Hamilton. And it's, if you've seen the book, it's like an 800-page book. It is, it is a big boy, right? And it's not the kind of thing you read as light reading at the end of the day. It really is a quite a dense historical book. Okay. And for some reason, the way that his mind worked, he was so inspired by this. He's like, this needs to be a musical. And this needs to be a rap musical. <laughs> In one of the interviews, he chats about the fact that when he was reading this, he couldn't help thinking that Alexander Hamilton felt like Tupac. It was a kind of an, an immigrant story, a very much a rags to riches yeah. story, a guy who kind of went from nothing to everything because of his intellect. In the same way that Tupac's career kind of took off in, in, in the early, I think it was 60s or whatever it was, or 70s maybe. Um, and it's one of those things where the creativity to be able to read a biography that's 800 pages long and then decide, okay, cool, I'm going to write a musical that's never been done before and a genre that's never been done before about a historical American history moment that yes. is not really on the tip of everyone's tongue. Then, Chad, to not give up after 10,000 people tell you it's a terrible idea, to actually like, wow. spend 10 years working on it. He said that some of the songs took like a year to write. So, for example... My shot is it my shot? Is that what it's <laughs> I think so. My um, shot, which is, which is yeah, I'm not giving away my shot. It, it's it. a great song, right? And apparently, it took him a year to write. And so, one of those like ginormous projects that that turned into this huge phenomenon. And so, it really is powerful to hear a story like that. And it makes me wonder about the people that have the perseverance to have that idea in their head, and then to spend ten years manifesting it. And then you see what comes out at the end of the day, which is an absolute artistic masterpiece. It really does inspire me, Chad. I don't know about you. Yeah, it's incredibly inspirational. Whenever I look at something like this, which is, uh, I suppose, the crescendo of somebody's life's work um, in, in a piece that you can consume and revel in uh, for the rest of your life, um, really for me is, is so profound. And, and something that uh, for me echoes this is uh, Antoni Gaudí's work in Barcelona, which, you know, ultimately is uh, the Sangrada La Familia and, you know, all of the other kind of utterings of his in terms of archi architectural side throughout the city. Um, and that for me just brings this idea of, well, what are we, what are we here for? What are we producing? Uh, are we maybe putting our hands into too many pies? Um, ultimately, does one good piece of work kind of make up for all of our other failed mistakes. Um, and, and I think it, I think it does. When you look at a piece like this, um, and he's obviously, he's still, a, he's still a young guy. He's still got a, a significant portion of his life left ahead of him. Um, but he's already put down his life's work and it took him 10 years yeah. to make. 
Um, and, you know, that's a, a significant amount of time that he's, he's put into this. And uh, ultimately, everyone loves it. I love it as well. It was, it was fantastic to watch. Yeah, it, it's, it's difficult because you wonder where does he go from here, right? Like you say, he's not going to write another Hamilton. Yep. Like if he does, that's that's incredible. But the kind of the kind of success that Hamilton's had and the, and the cultural impact it's had has been revolutionary. Mm. And I think that there's a danger there of realizing, oh, no, I've got to the top of the mountain. Like where do I go to from here? Yep. Um, and it, it really does come down to your artistic like nature. Like, yep. what are you doing this for? Like, if you're doing it just to make art, then you're able to make the next thing and the next thing. And if it's not ex- as successful, that's fine because you're doing it for yourself. Or you're doing it to to express yourself, right? But if you're kind of holding yourself to the success of this show, the pressure on his next show is immense, right? Because everyone's going to be looking to it as cool. This is the right of Hamilton, and so the pressure of making this next new thing is going to be really intense. Um, and so again, it, it comes down to what kind of artist do you want to be, and is it about the success for you, or is it about just expressing yourself and understanding that there might be one piece of work that really does catapult you into the into the stratosphere, and you might find that everything else feels like a disappointment in a way. Yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah, fair point, fair point. Uh, the only thing I'm thinking at this point in time, Barry, is not too long ago you were inspired by a Walt Isaacson biography of Albert Einstein. And not <laughs> too long ago you were inspired by a guy by the name of Jacob Collier. Is that, you know, the outset of, of something brilliant ahead of us? Chad, I've got some projects in the works. Don't you worry. Don't you worry. Give me 10 years and I'll come back to you with an absolute masterpiece. Just watch this space. I'm looking forward to it. I'm definitely <laughs> looking forward to it. Well, it is actually something that is in a different segment, but I wanted to talk about it here because we're at the right place in time and it fits here, Barry. It fits in where we're speaking. We're talking about old books. We're talking about doing things new. We're talking about life's work. Um, you know, ultimately it should it should go here. Barry this week put out his very, very first YouTube video. And I can't be prouder um, to, to actually watch that video up on the web. Um, I think we definitely need to pop a link into this episode as well. And it's about the importance of reading old books. But I wanted to chat, Barry, not just about the message, because uh, we can obviously speak about the message, but just about the process, about the personal growth, um, you know, about why you did this in the first place. Um, and, you know, how was it ultimately? Yeah, it was terrifying, Chad. It still <laughs> is terrifying. And I think you know that because I was kind of messaging you all my insecurities about posting it and yeah. all my uncertainty about it. Um, I think for a long time, I'm I'm very comfortable on the written word. I'm yeah. very comfortable writing and that's kind of my, my medium of choice. And uh, so when I write, I'm more than happy to share things because I think I'm quite good at it and I think I've got some skills and I've, I've practiced it for years and years now. Um, and video has been something that has been challenging for me. I think that I... I, I like the idea of wanting to tell stories in video format. I've wanted to be one of those YouTubers for a while, <laughs> Chad, that we all want to be, right? Um, and it's, I, I've been really inspired by YouTubers that I really look up to. Yeah. And, and that ability to tell stories through visual aspects is very important. Definitely. And in almost like a sad way for me, the impact of the written word is kind of waning in our world today. Mm. And video seems to really be growing over time. If I think about the amount of reach you can have with a video versus a blog post, it, it really is a chalk and cheese kind of moment. Yeah. And so I think video is important for my career. But talking to myself in the camera is, is a challenge, Chad. <laughs> and I found, I found when I was making it, I was very insecure about it yep. because I don't, I don't understand how editing works. I don't understand how to get the right lighting and the right whatever. The only reason this podcast looks good is because Chad takes my footage and does all <laughs> sorts of magic on it. Not at all. Um, and so it's one of those things where 
I've been very insecure about it for a long time and you've been encouraging me to make, just make, just make, just put it out there. And I finally put the, put the bullets, I took the plunge, I, I spent some time with uh, figuring out how to edit things together and I made something. And yeah. so while it's not perfect, while there's a few mistakes in there that I would have rather fixed, <laughs> I'm very happy that it's actually in the world. And I've actually got some decent feedback. So all yeah. in all, Chad, it was a good experience. Yeah, I think it came across really, really well, especially as a, as a first you know, output. Um, I think it's at an exceptionally high level, especially if you look at past YouTubers and look at their first contributions. Um, ultimately, <laughs> everyone has to start somewhere. And it really is strange, isn't it, Barry, when you're sitting there in the house all to yourself. Um, oh, ultimately, so I don't know why, but when you and I do this podcast, it's not as weird because we're actually speaking to a person at the end of the line. Uh, if somebody yeah. is walking past and, you know, hears me talking to myself, I don't care. I'm speaking to Barry and it's all good because <laughs> I'm speaking to Barry. Whereas when you're actually sitting down and you're looking at the camera and you're just looking at the camera and there's nothing else around you, you feel like a bit of a twit. Um, and <laughs> you feel like it doesn't sound too good until you edit it all together, until you throw on a you know, backing track. Um, and, uh, and ultimately, you know, it, it, it sometimes does work out really well. And, and that happened on your one. Uh, and that's happened on mine too for, for a while. So sometimes you do need to go to the end of the process um, to, to read the rewards from the beginning that, that felt a bit silly. Is that your same experience, Barry? Yeah, it is, Chad. <laughs> it, it's, it's a very bizarre thing because I, I don't normally get nervous. Like I'm, I'm very comfortable on stage. <laughs> I've been to theater shows and whatnot. Yeah. But for some reason, talking to my phone camera, because I don't have any fancy cameras or anything. It's all, all, my, all on my iPhone, right? Yeah. And so talking to the iPhone, like you say, was a very bizarre experience for me. <laughs> now, I haven't even got to your level, Chad, where you're walking through the streets of Italy or France for inviting yourself. That's a whole nother ballgame. <laughs> For me, at least, like no one else knew I was doing it. I was alone in my apartment and it still felt weird. Yep. And so I think it's one of those things you have to get used to and you have to get over yep. that fear. Because like you say, once you see the final product, the final product looks really good, right? It looks Definitely. really smooth. Everything, you've got, got rid of all mistakes. Uh, if you were to see my actual raw footage, Chad, it was a <laughs> horror show, right? <laughs> there was a lot of cutting that needed to happen. Uh, and I'm hoping that with time and with more practice, I'll be able to kind of be more raw and not need so much editing over time. And yeah. I think that's your experience as well. Yeah. As you do more of them, you kind of get better at it and you realize that you don't like that a little bit of that imperfection actually actually is important. You don't want it to look too perfect. Otherwise, it doesn't come across as relatable. So I'm hoping to make some more. I, I'm not gonna hold myself to any just yet, but I've yeah. got some ideas and I'm hoping to make a couple more and and practice storytelling in a, in a visual yeah. way because I think that video is so powerful. Mm. And if I can use my writing in a new medium, that could potentially bring me a kind of a new way to tell stories. I think it's great. And I really do look forward to all your future contributions. Um, you're completely right. It's completely normal to, to, to feel weird. Um, it just makes me think of when I was a kid and played uh, the game Sims. I don't know. Did you ever play Sims, Barry? Oh, yes. I and, played uh, hours of that. <laughs> you've got all your little skills. And ultimately, to get better at any skill, you've got to practice at it, right? And the oh, yeah. skill of charisma, uh, your little sim would go in front of the mirror and would talk <laughs> to itself. And I, I feel like we genuinely like don't do that because we feel like it's silly. But it's so it's so powerful. Um, ultimately, I haven't actually done it, but my sim tells me that it works. <laughs> and uh, I suppose even just the act of, of talking to yourself in front of the camera, you, you do get better at it. You definitely do. And it, and it does also improve your conversation in real life too. 
I love that analogy. I really do. Because that's exactly what it is, right? It's getting that confidence in yourself. So you don't feel as self-conscious anymore, yeah. right? One of the major reasons people don't share themselves or don't share authentically is because they're worried about what other people are going to think. Yeah. They'd rather chuck 13 filters on their Instagram photo and take a thousand photos and post the best one. And that's kind of their, that's their view of the world, right? But in a video format, you can't really do that uh, and without like lots of fancy editing and lots of yeah. fancy stuff. Um, and like you say, it's that getting over that fact that if you don't worry about what other people think, you're actually able to share more authentically and to understand that the first few are going to suck and that's just how it works. Yep. And the only way to get better is to actually make and share, make and share, make and share. 100%. And uh, yeah, so I've taken a lot of inspiration from you, Chad, like watching your journey is, and, and your videos keep getting better and better and better. Thanks, if you haven't seen any of Chad's videos, his production quality is like world class. <laughs> and so I'm really excited to see what he does in the future as well. And uh, we're kind of keeping each other accountable. I'm enjoying yeah, this kind yeah. of back and forth where we remind ourselves, just make it, just make it and share it and move on, right? Yeah. Because if we, get too, if we get too attached to it, we get too caught up in it, all of a sudden we, we, we haven't released a video in two months yeah. and then what's the point, right? So the whole idea is to make and move on make and move on so true so true and uh, yeah that dual joint accountability is, is such a cool little idea so whatever your little ambition is grab a buddy um you know have a, a an accountability buddy um I, I think it's a cool little concept and uh yeah definitely a productive way to, to mark off your goals and uh, make progress which is which is really cool just in terms of uh, just one little thought that we haven't wrapped up on uh, just in terms of it sounding funny while you're busy recording it until it's this concise production <laughs> i felt yeah. kind of the same about our podcast last week we tried our new challenge and we both felt very insecure about it we both while we were doing it uh, right at the end we were like is this are, are we actually going to put this <laughs> thing out um and listening back to it, it it actually wasn't it wasn't anything like we thought it would be yeah, it's so weird how in the moment it can seem so off, it can yeah. seem so wrong. But when you look back at it in hindsight, it actually works. And like you say, for, for a few days last week, Chad, we were both like, ooh, are we actually <laughs> going to post this thing? Is, is it, are we going to miss a week? Yep. Um, but the final product actually came out really well. And so it's one of those things, again, where you only really know what to think about something once it's done. Yeah. You can't judge it in the moment. So once you, when you're making something, you don't want to over-sense yourself. You don't want to overthink it. You don't want to over-edit. Mm -hmm. You just want to make what feels, what your, where your gut is saying to go to. Make it and then look back on it with some time. So after a day or two, look back on it and then make a judgment as yeah. to what is right or wrong. And be willing to make mistakes, right? We, we took a risk last week by trying a different style, sure. a different vibe. And uh, it could have it could have ended way worse. And we would have had to do, deal with that. And if you're willing to take those risks and willing to make mistakes and not worry about it being the end of the podcast or the <laughs> end of the whatever it is, right? And realize yeah. that your work is so much bigger than just that one piece, then you're able to take more creative risks and try new things. And that is so powerful in a world where everyone is trying to have a personal brand which fits into this tiny little yep. narrow stream and they are scared to kind of do something different or do something a little bit weird or do something that seems a bit out of, out of place. Yeah, that's so true. That's so true. Um, I, I couldn't have said that better myself. But it, did, <laughs> it, it taught me a lesson as well, Barry, just in terms of the in the moment. So you're completely yeah. right in terms of taking the risks and, and looking back on it two days later. And, and that's the experience that we had. But in the moment, while we were busy, uh, it just shows you how hypercritical we can be on ourselves. Oh, and yeah. Oh, I can yeah. just imagine that this happens, obviously not just in the podcast, but in all areas of our lives. We make one tiny little mistake and it, it seems huge. And it's only when I'm in the editing room that I realize the one little blur or, or you know mess up that it did on a particular word just seemed like a massive mountain in my head. 
and it took two seconds to edit out kind of thing. Um, so it really <laughs> is one of those where in the moment, um, you know, Barry's message that he keeps feeding and it's, a, it's the way we need to be is just be kind to yourself kind of thing. I'm learning that as we go as well. Yeah, I actually had a conversation with a friend a couple of days ago talking about this exact thing, yeah. how we are so fixated on what things go wrong in our life. Yeah. We, we will have one bad YouTube comment on one of our videos and we will lose our minds over it for weeks, <laughs> even though there were five or 10 good ones, right? Yeah. Or we'll think about, oh, my teeth or my nose. We've all got that yeah. one thing on our body that we're not happy with and we yeah. obsess about it. Whereas we should be taking like a much bigger picture of who yeah. we actually are. And there's so much to be grateful for. There's so much to celebrate. There's so much good. And uh, being kind to yourself means taking it all into consideration. So obviously we want to work on the things we're not so good at and get better at those. But sure. at the same time, we have to celebrate the stuff that we really enjoy and that you're actually good at. And the more you can see that full picture, the, in the better mental state you're going to be and the more kind of enthusiasm and light you're going to be able to bring to the world. Um, and for anyone listening, please like, take that to heart. Like There's so much to celebrate. There's mm -hmm. so much to look forward to. Even when you make mistakes, even when you try new things, the fact that you're trying new things and you're making mistakes shows you're actually engaging with the world and yeah. you actually are throwing yourself into the arena. Please don't be one of those people who just sits on the sidelines their whole life and never tries anything, right? Mm -hmm. Rather be one of the people that fails and fails and fails and fails because they're trying a whole bunch of new things because that is where growth comes from. When you push yourself out of that comfort zone and do yeah. something you've never done before and you fall on your face, right? And you, and you have egg on your face and, and, and you, you laugh at yourself and you dust yourself off and you move on and and that's really important to be able to do that and uh so yeah i encourage everyone out there please please take the message to heart i, I certainly am trying to in my own life and i know chad you are too yeah definitely and it's it, you don't just get there you don't wake up one morning and all of a sudden uh, you don't <laughs> make these mistakes at all um we, we ultimately yeah. all are just trying to get a little bit better every day and it, it's not a linear curve sometimes we'll you know drop it off again and, and work on it again pick up the skill again uh, but ultimately yeah as long as you've got the intention to to try and get better that's ultimately how we make progress and uh, and just get to be the best that we can possibly be now barry you dropped another little thing on our tiny little document of, of guidelines today um, but it, it does seem interesting and especially because we're talking about um, sharing ideas and feelings and, and uh, you know sharing the things that don't go so right uh, tell us about this one yeah, so I found one of these videos that comes up in those rec that recommended section, which is kind of a, it's kind of a mixed bag. Sometimes <laughs> it's really good clickbait that gets you down a rabbit hole you don't want to go down. But sometimes like this, it delivers you a real gem. And basically it was this person who took a microphone, a standing mic, chucked it in the middle of like a, a park somewhere in the United States okay. and had a big sign saying to people, go up to the mic and say one of your biggest secrets. So tell one of your biggest secrets to the mic. And the camera kind of films the person speaking, but from from behind. So you don't see their face. You just kind okay. of see their silhouette of their back. And they have the choice after they've told their secret, if they want to turn around and reveal their face, or they can just walk out of frame and you'll never know who they are. And for some reason, I found it hypnotic. I found it absolutely fascinating because okay. I've watched like 20 or 25 people go up and, and tell a whole range of secrets, ranging from the really benign, the really silly ones, which were really funny, <laughs> to some really intense kind of moments in their life that, that they either are very feeling pain about or feeling anxiety or regrets or whatever. Mm. And a huge range of responses and a range of feelings and a range of kind of who turned around, who didn't. 
And it was one of those moving experiences that almost brought me to tears. It was so emotional in some instances because people were sharing their raw, authentic selves to this random microphone in the middle of a park, right? Mm. And you could almost feel in some of them that it was therapeutic, just being able to speak through it, be able to talk through it. You can actually feel a little bit of the weight of the shoulders drop, which I thought was very powerful. And it was a reminder to me that Everybody is going through something. Definitely. I think it's something important for all of us is that when you're treating other people in your life, whether you know it or not, everybody has their demons. Everybody has stuff they're worrying about and, and the insecurities and trauma in their life and, and baggage that they're carrying around. And so in the same way you should be kind to yourself, you've got to be kind to other people because even if you don't know what's going on in their life, everyone has those dark secrets they don't tell anybody about. Yep, yep, 100%. Um, it sounds like a, a fascinating a little experiment, um, and I think I definitely need to go and watch it. But it touches the strings really nicely on a, a thought that I had today, Barry, um, where you know I actually felt a little bit offended myself because a friend of mine who has a personal endeavor, I won't go too much into what this personal endeavor is, um, but who, who you know told me about the personal endeavor, and, and I took interest in it, and uh, you know I, I feel I was encouraging about it. Um, but it, it turns out I've been blocked from this potential page i kind of felt a little bit sad i kind of felt like i'd you know maybe let this person down i i, I kind of felt for me um you know why do i not get to to participate in this in this journey um and like you say barry there's other demons there there's obviously reasons there's obviously insecurities um and ultimately it's not about me it really is not about me yeah chad that, that's that's really insightful i think that's it's something we don't often see in ourselves we aren't self-aware of that fact that we we, we take things so personally because mm. we obviously live inside our own heads, right? And we chatted in the past about how we are the lead character in our story, in mm. our movie. And we kind of feel like everything else is happening to us sometimes. Um, but the reality is we are much smaller than we think and much less significant. And there's so much more going on. And so the fact that you're even aware of that, Chad, is a step in the right direction. Yeah. I think obviously we all have the initial emotion, which is hard to get away from. Yeah. But if you're able to turn that into an understanding that maybe I don't know the whole story and maybe there's more to this. And to be able to do that just takes the pressure off you trying to figure out what are the reasons for this? Like, yeah. Why did this happen? Yeah. Or like, what did I do wrong? Or what did I do right? Or what did this person mean by saying this or saying that? Mm. Um, I think we've all been in those situations where someone will say something offhand and we will overthink it for two weeks, <laughs> writing all sorts of narratives about what it, what it means. Yeah. And then we find out that, oh, no, I just didn't mean to say it like that or whatever. It didn't mean anything, right? Um, but we've run away with it for two weeks. Um, and so we have to be so aware that we don't understand the whole story in so many of these cases. And the less we could take things personally and the less we can kind of attach our pride and our ego to these happenings, the more peace we're going to have. And unfortunately, in today's world, which is so full of anxiety, it's, it's rampant, right? It's absolutely yep. rampant. People yep. are tying the emotions to the amount of likes on their Instagram or to mm -hmm. kind of being invited to a matric dance or being invited to a birthday party, et cetera, et cetera. And we have to be able to move past that and kind of look inward for our own self-worth rather than for some external happenings from other flawed human beings who are dealing with, dealing with their own stuff. Yeah, definitely. It's a trap that I've fallen into so many times. Um, I think you and I, Barry, are just similar in that way. I think we are overthinkers by nature. Oh, yeah. Um, there certainly <laughs> are people who, you know, take things at face value and, and kind of carry on with life as, as it is. But certainly when you have a little bit of time to ponder happenings and uh, ultimately when you have the inclination to, to want to find deeper meaning in things, which I think, I think we do want to do, um, you, you get to these sometimes really, really inaccurate and uh, just not helpful uh, final conclusions. 
Um, so yeah, it's a skill that we certainly need to work on. Um, we've spoken about a little bit of tools to, to get better at that. And uh, I suppose those tools take time, takes work, takes practice. Um, but but hopefully we'll get there. Yeah, it's not a race you finish, right? It's yeah. an ongoing journey throughout your life. And it's as long as you're aware of it, that's half the battle won, just being aware of what you're going through and being aware yeah. of why you're reacting a certain way. Because if you aren't aware of it, you just, you'll never have those thoughts because you'll be so deep inside, right? Yeah. So being aware of it's number one and then trying every single day to just kind of think a little bit deeper about what's going on. And the more you can do that, the more peace you're going to have and the easier, not the easier, but the, the easier your mind is going to be yeah. rather than just running a thousand miles an hour, which I, I know is what mine does. <laughs> yeah, and ultimately your mind makes you take actions. Your thoughts become actions. So you'll oh, potentially yeah. be doing silly things. You'll be doing things that uh, have bad repercussions on your, your life as a whole. Um, so as the sooner we can actually get in there and, and strip away, away the reality from uh, the perceived reality, um, ultimately, we'll, we'll save ourselves a lot of silly things that we are going to do as well. I think that brings us to a really good place to to call the end of the episode, Barry. I think so, Chad. 36 <laughs> in the bag. I've really enjoyed it. I think, we, I think yeah. we're finding a nice little groove here. Um, I hope you've enjoyed the last two episodes. We certainly have been trying something a little bit different, mm. um, but hopefully with the same sort of energy and the same topics that we always love to talk about, uh, tech and Jacob Collier. I mean, what else? <laughs> yeah, what else? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And let's not forget about Hamilton, a bit of theater, a bit of theatrics, uh, and of course, also of a little bit of introspection and trying to find out more about ourselves. That's what makes us tick, ultimately. Please do join all of our social media pages. On Twitter, we are at across underscore podcast. Instagram, we are at across the podcast. And on Facebook, we are at across the pond podcast. Now, if that is not a mouthful, I don't know what is. But thanks for listening. <laughs> and we'll see you next week. Pond, 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 across the pond.